Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. you're here. Part two of our series called From This Day Forward. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you were not here last week, please go online and watch the message. These are linked together because there is an incredibly powerful but yet tiny little verse tucked away in Genesis chapter two that is so profound that if all you did for the rest of your life when it comes to marriage is focus on this one little obscure odd scripture that you would easily read right over, if you would focus all of your attention on it, I promise you'd have an incredible Marriage. And so last week we looked at it and together let's dive back into the text real quick here. Verse 21 out of Genesis 2 says this. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Um, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called what? Woman. For she has taken out of man that, this is the key verse here, lock in with this one, that is why a man leaves his father and his mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Read it one more time. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The very first thing we talked about last week, and the very first thing that you have to focus on when it comes to the scripture is this, because inside this scripture, there are three powerful laws or principles that you have got to surrender yourself to because you can't actually break these laws. You can only break yourself against them. They are laws that have already been established. There's just kind of nothing you can do about them. They are what they are. And if you will surrender to these laws, you will set yourself up for the most blessed Marriage. It is just the way that it works. And as much as we resist these things, we will set ourselves up for her in heartache. And so the very first principle is this. It says, for a man shall leave his father and his mother. And we talked about last week how ultimately in their day, in their culture, the mom and dad would have been the absolute priority relationship. That's how you would have lived and functioned and survived and eaten. And you know, and so you were very joined to your parents. But what God establishes very early on is, is that once you get married, your mother and your father are no longer the number one priority relationship. They drop down at least a notch and your spouse becomes the number one priority of your life. Outside of your relationship with God, there is nothing more important than your spouse. And this is what we call the law of priority. And anytime that we decide to put something else above our spouse, as soon as the kids take the place of the marriage, as soon as work takes the place of the marriage, as soon as friends or hobbies take the place of the marriage, somebody's going to feel unloved and somebody's going to feel disrespected. And then all of a sudden you're going to get into the crazy cycle of, well, he did this and she did this and we're not. And it's because you broke the law of priority. And what you have to do is, is you have to reestablish what your priorities are and you've got to be able to surrender to those things. You've got to be able to keep your spouse ahead of everything else. And if you do that, you're on your way. But today we get into the second premise because the second premise says this. It says, this is why a man shall leave his father and his mother. And now there's a different number of different translations. Some translations say, be joined to your wife. The NIV says, be united to your wife. Old school King James says, cleave. There's a leave and a cleave. In the Hebrew, that means to chop up into tiny pieces, right? I'm kidding. That's not what that means. Y'all were like, dang, marriage is hard. Um, 
You're to leave. That's what it feels like sometimes. You feel like my spouse is going to chop me up into tiny pieces. I'm going to leave and cleave. The word cleave or join to or united to, I I don't know why. I'm not sure how or why they chose the specific wording they did. But if you look up the word in its original context, you look it up in the Hebrew, it's a word that literally means to pursue. To pursue with energy. Sometimes it's used as a word to like overtake, right? It's almost like, you know, caveman, find hot girl, me overtake her, you know, <laughs> hit her on head, drag her back to cave, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's, it's literally, you, you chase down, you overtake, you pursue, be united. It sounds, it sounds, oh, well, we're just together now. No, 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 no. Chase her down, pursue him, tackle them if necessary. You do everything you possibly can to chase and pursue and to win and to woo. And this is what we call, not the marriage, or not the principle of priority. This is what we would call the principle of pursuit. The law of pursuit. That, here's what you have to do in life. You have to constantly be pursuing your spouse. And here's what I know about you. You did this at some point in time because the problem that we butt up against in, in this law of pursuit is this, is we're almost like a dog chasing a car. It's exciting to the dog. They go crazy. But if the dog ever catches the car, I don't know what to do with this 2,000 pounds. Like I'm a dog. I don't know what to do with a car. And men, that's what some of you are like. It's like you work so hard to chase her down, to woo her, to win her, to pursue her. You put on cologne, you shaved, you sm- you put on clean clothing, you brushed your teeth, you, you tried one-liners, you tried to be so smooth and rico suave and like you, you tried to put it on. And then what happens is, is you finally trick her into marrying you. And then all of a sudden, you're like the dog that caught the car. And you're like, oh, I guess this is over now. I caught the car. And the law of pursuit says, no, 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 no. You never stop wooing and winning and chasing and pursuing. You never stop brushing your teeth and putting on clean clothes and using one-liners and doing cute and funny things. And again, this is something that you already know how to do. And so ultimately, what you find from this law of pursuit is this. You find what the secret to a great marriage is. The secret to staying in love is simply this. It's work. It is work. Don't ever kid yourself. It's work. And, 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 or we could say it like this is marriage is work. And when you work, it works. And when you don't, it doesn't. Marriage is work. And and again, go back, because this is what I know about you. This is what I know about me. In the early stages, we worked hard to either trick or impress the other person. This is why, ladies, you changed outfits multiple times. Then you changed accessories multiple times. And you, 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 you got into a frizzy over what you were going to wear and what was going to go. And guys, you tried so hard. I remember this. On one of our very first dates. Why are you laughing already? Miss, I don't know Tim Tebow. Um, on one of our very, was it our first date or was it just like one of our first dates? It was definitely one of our first dates. I had this brilliant idea because she used to live on this little waterway connected to Spring Lake, which was connected to Lake Michigan. It's really, really, really beautiful. And, um, and so I had taken her out to dinner and taken her out to a movie. And then we come back to her place, which is again on the lake. And as I'm, as I'm coming up, we're hanging out in her backyard, which faces the lake. And I see this paddle boat. And I'm like, oh, you know, it'd be so romantic. 
a paddle boat ride under the moonlight. God, I will nail this. It is going to be awesome. So what I did was is I, I, I finally got to the paddle boat and realized it was stuck in marsh, right? So I climbed down into the marsh and I heave and I hoe and I pull and I, I get it out finally. And I'm like, come on, babe. It's going to be beautiful. Come, come, come on, get in here. And so she's like resisting me and I don't really understand why. And I'm like, babe, this is about to be romantic. It's just like paddle boat under the moonlight on Spring Lake. This is dope. And so uh, what, ha- what had happened was um, it was a spider infested paddle boat that had been like abandoned by somebody and so literally we're out paddling and all of a sudden you're doing this anyway so, and all of a sudden we're covered in spiders we almost it was a little too cold we would have jumped in the water probably so anyway we had to paddle but that was me trying to be romantic i was baby i was working hard to try to impress you and it didn't it didn't work and, and guys don't you know that's the best it's when you try, like Delano has this story. Delano was working hard, um, when he took Amanda out on a date. And what he did was, is he had this beautiful idea that they would wake up early in the morning. They're in Santa Cruz, that they would wake up early in the morning and go watch the sunrise over the ocean. There you go. Does the sun rise over the ocean in the morning in Santa Cruz? Sun came up right over them. They're just looking at the water. But that's what you do when you love somebody. You do silly things, stupid things. You try to be romantic, even if it causes spider bites. And even if it, anyway, this is what you do. You've got to, you've got to remember that you, in the early times, worked hard. Guys, guys, see, guys will do this. Guys will say something stupid like, well, they just need to love me for who I am. That's not true, because you tricked her. You weren't like this when you were dating, or she would have never married your... So, so guys would be like, well, this is just who I am. I can't change. That's a lie. You already changed. That's how you tricked her into marrying you. Just change back to that guy, and then work really hard just to become that human being. Ladies, can I get an amen? Thank you. I was preaching myself. So, so again, there's, there's a problem that, that we, we run into is, is basically just the, it's, it's this human nature. We, when we get what we want, we get lazy and then we start mailing it in. And so this is why I joke with all the married couples, pre-marrieds at my, at the wedding day. I'm like, look, there's certain things that you got to get rid of when you get married. You cannot have flannel nineties. That's, that's not okay. Okay, you gotta work hard. So I, I remember, I, let me, let me dive in. Let me, let me dive into all the, the misconceptions and the kickbacks and the problems that you run into with our culture as it currently is constructed. Common misconceptions that we have about this idea of love and romance. See, what happens is, is that you get married and because you broke the law of pursuit, eventually you end up stuck with these kind of statements. Well, we must have fallen out of love. We've heard that before. We, well, we, you know what? We must have, we, we fell, we fell into love and now we've fallen out of love. No, no, no. That's not biblical. That's cultural. That's not real. Falling in and out of love. Now you can fall in a ditch. You cannot fall into love. It is an impossibility because the biblical definition of love is, is does, the, when you listen to Jesus talk about love, he does not talk about love as a noun that you could fall into. He uses it as a verb, as a something that you do. 
And there is a radical difference in the way that you see love when you realize, oh, love isn't something, you can fall into romance, you can fall into infatuation, you can fall into some things, but that's not what love is. You cannot fall into love. That is the falling, you know where the falling in love myth comes? It comes from Hollywood. Do you really want to take your cues on marriage from people in Hollywood? No, then stop buying into the falling in love myth. It does not exist. Let me tell you what it really is. See, um, you worked really hard to impress him, and he was working really hard to impress you, and then you went and got married, and then you went on a honeymoon, and then what you had, what happened was, is you got home from your honeymoon, and you realized you are living with a person who's so radically different than you, so weird, why is she so emotional? Why is he so this? Why is he, you know, why, why is all this stuff? And you, you run into this stuff. Why do you run into this stuff? See, there's this, there's this problem that you run into is because sometimes the things that you, that caused you to fall in love with each other, when you get married, you get so much proximity, that stuff changes, right? So you, you say stuff like this. Like if I said, hey, why do you like him so much? Like, oh, he's so funny. He's just so funny. And then wait until you've been married for six, nine, 12 months. You're like, everything's a joke. It's just a joke. Everything's a joke. Don't take anything seriously, right? And if I tell you about, hey, what do you like about her? Oh my God, she's so nurturing. She's so kind and so nurturing. Nine months, 12 months later, she's a nag. She's a nag, Todd. She won't get off my back. She's a nag. What happened? Proximity. What happened? The honeymoon wore off. What happened? You broke the law of pursuit is what happened. And now you say weird, goofy, cultural Hollywood things like we fell, we fell out of love. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a great story of a woman who gets home from her honeymoon and she immediately calls her mom in a panic and she says, mom, I need you to come pick me up right now and get me out of here. She goes, what in the world is wrong? She goes, uh, you know what? We went on our honeymoon and it was beautiful and it was romantical and magical and all it was, it was fantastic. But we get home and all of a sudden, uh, it's just not the same. And he starts using these four letter words on me. And she goes, what? What did he say to you? I don't even want to talk about it, mom. Just come pick me up. And she goes, well, look, I need you to tell me what's going on. What kind of four letter words did he use? And she goes, well, he used words like dust and wash and iron and cook. I've never heard these words. That's a joke, by the way. I don't know if you... It's just a joke. That's funny though. Um, so yeah, there, there's no such thing as falling in love. Here's another one you run into. Uh, misconception number two. If I marry the right person, the emotions will just happen naturally and effortlessly throughout our marriage. See, there's a belief that this is called the, the, the one myth, right? Have you met the one? Have you met your soulmate? There's one, there's one person out there for everyone. That's not true. There's a bunch of people out there, okay? And what you do, you, you make it work. It's what you do. Because the one that you're married to, that's the one you make it work with. So there's not just the perfect person myth, the one and only myth. That's not true. That doesn't exist. You know why that's not true? We know that because of math, right? Because here's the problem. Um, some of you married somebody and are convinced, I didn't marry the one. I missed the one, right? It's either I never met her or that it was the one that got away, but I missed the one. And see, the problem is, is that since you missed the one, you married someone that wasn't your one and you ended up taking another person's one and then now they are not with their one. They ended up with a different one and now the universe is in a state of chaos, right? It's stupid. It's not, it, 
There is no one and only person. That's ridiculous. And so the idea that if I marry the right person, the one and only, my soulmate, everything will just fit naturally. No, it will not. All right, ladies, men are weird. They do weird things. They think things, things are funny that aren't funny. You know, they, they, they have, they just, they smell different. They act different. They talk different. They think different. They're weird. And ladies, y'all are just as weird on the other end of the spectrum. Y'all don't make no sense either. And then what you get realize is proxy. Now we're put together. You think everything's going to be just wonderful and harmonious and easy and everything's just going to fit so naturally. No, it takes work. It takes you working at it. It takes you compromise. It takes you meeting in the middle. Men, it takes you emptying yourself of selfishness and ego and pride. And ladies, you have to empty yourself of your ego and selfishness and pride. And you, and God uses marriage to make you into a different human being. God uses marriage to sanctify you. The idea that's just going to magically work. I remember I heard this. This is so funny. I heard this woman and, um, um, she, she got a divorce. And then immediately just hit the gym and like I see her like a few months later and she's lost like 50 pounds and she looks fantastic. I'm like, wow, look at you. You look, you look great. Way to go. Good for you. And she goes, well, you know, once I got that divorce, I knew I was going to be back on the market. I had to be looking good. And I thought, here's a thought. What if you worked that hard in your marriage? What if you worked that hard while you were married? Because here, here's the thing. You always want to work hard for your spouse and you always want to work hard in your marriage. You don't wait until you get divorced and be like, now I got to step up my game. <laughs> no, in your marriage, step up your game. That's how this is supposed to be done. You remember marriage is like a muscle, right? When you go to the gym, if you've never been to the gym or if you haven't been to the gym in a long time and you go in and you try to lift something heavy, man, I'm telling you what, you feel pathetic, you feel weak, you feel like you, but best of God, when you go to the gym and you're there three and four days a week and you're killing it, you go there, you feel strong. Marriage is the same way. It requires work and effort. And when you work at it, it works. And when you don't, it doesn't. Here's another one. I can have it better if I'll just start over with someone new. That's the other misconception. But again, the problem is, is that you will find yourself in a cycle and the cycle looks like this in essence, because you, you, cause this is a cycle. You find somebody, you work really hard into like being awesome and tricking them into being with you. Right. And then you're like the dog that catches the car. Now you're like mailing it in. Don't know what to do. Now I'm just, I'm being lazy. Then the marriage goes bad. That's why there's a seven year hump. There's a, there's a number in divorce that says most couples that get divorced don't make it over this. Why? Cause it takes about that much time between the honeymoon period wearing off reality setting it. Maybe kids delay that a little bit. And it's like, bless God by seven years. All right, this, this woman, this man has wore me out. And so that's why that is, is because you just, you just fell back in the same old cycle. Cause then, cause here's the problem. If you leave that marriage to go join the other one, you're just going to work really hard into tricking somebody into liking you so that you can fall in, fall in love <laughs> Go through a honeymoon phase. Just repeat the same cycle over and over and over again. I'm going to tell you right now, because I, one of my friends is, is, is a divorce lawyer, it's way cheaper just to work hard in that marriage. Way, it's way cheaper, I promise. It's just better. And it's better for you. It's better for your soul because you don't want to fall into the cycle of just, again, going through the motions, tricking somebody, getting a lot of energy, pursue, 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 win, woo, impress, only to then mail it in. Last one, when we have fallen out of love, there's just no way to get the love back. 
And again, this is a lie. This is a trap. This is the, these are the lies that sometimes culture communicates to us. Sometimes our divorced friend that's been divorced and remarried five times. This is what we've come up with in our head and we have duped ourselves. You can get the love back. I promise it's possible. And actually God gives you the blueprint for how to do it. And again, the way that you get the love back is to change. The first thing you have to do is change your definition of love. Love is a verb. Love is something that you do. It is not something that you feel. If you live your life purely by your feelings, you will live a roller coaster life. You will be up one minute, down the next, every once in a while spinning out. That's just the way it goes. So you can't live by how you feel. Jesus says this, because Jesus would have made the worst marriage counselor. I promise, if you took your marriage to Jesus and said, well, you know what, he's been doing this, you know, she's been doing that, this and that and the other, you know what Jesus would say? Jesus said, oh yeah, okay, here's, here's my prescription for you. Um, go love one another. Well, pastor Jesus, you don't understand what she had done and what he did and what he said. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't care. I don't care about that. Um, have you loved her? Have you loved him? Did you look? Cause that's all he, that's all he said. This new command I give you love one another. Just like I love you. You go love one another. That's it. Everything else is commentary. Go love one another. Not how do you feel? I don't care how you feel. Did you love her? Did you love him? Did you work? Did you go do things? Because again, you have to change. See, love is a choice and a commitment to treat someone else as special and valuable. And the first thing you have to do is you got to change your definition of love. It's not something that you feel. and It's not something that you fall into. It's something that you do. Now watch this. Watch this. This is brilliant. In the book of Revelation... There's a story where Jesus is talking to different churches. And to each church, he kind of goes and gives some challenge and he gives some encouragement to each one of the churches. To one of the churches, he writes something so profound about marriage that I think it is the key to this law of pursuit thing. Are you ready? It is definitely the key to if you feel like you fell out of love, which we've already debunked that. But if you feel like we don't have romantic feelings like we used to have, this is what Jesus says to the church in Revelation. He goes, now again, he says some encouraging things, but then he goes, but, 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 I have this thing against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first, or nevertheless, I have the thing against you, that you have left your first love. Doesn't that sound like the marriage cycle? We used to be in love. Used to be passionate, used to be romantic. We used to be all about each other. It was, it was the honeymoon, the dating, the wooing, the winning. I tried so hard. I tricked her so good. And go back to that. But he said, you've fallen out of your first love. Now notice this. There's something in Christianity that's true here too that he's addressing. That many times, and you should challenge yourself with this, is many times this is the pattern of your spiritual life. That many times you come to Jesus and you have an incredible experience with God where you sense his grace, you sense his love, you sense his mercy, and you start off with your relationship with Jesus with this incredibly like passion and excitement and, and, and there's, there's zeal and there's energy and there's all these things. And then what happens is that after you've been walking with Jesus for a certain amount of time, all of a sudden the love starts to wane. And you start to mail it in a little bit or it gets a little dry or it gets a little dull. And then all of a sudden maybe life hits you and you're like, where's God at? And then you you feel the same way about God now. You're like, well, I used to love Jesus. I used to be passionate about Jesus. I used to have an excitement about Jesus. And now it's grown kind of dull. Your spiritual life many times is going to model after your marriage life. It's that same kind of trajectory. So he goes, I've got this issue with you. You left your first love. Now watch what he says to do here. He says, remember. Everybody say, remember. The first thing he tells you to do is remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. 
Like, go back to like where we started at. Like that, go back and remember the good old days. Remember the early days. Remember the early times. And then he says another R word. Everybody say repent. Okay, that was weak. Y'all are like, all right, that's a good word. I want you to know that. We can say that with a lot of excitement, right? Everybody say repent. Yeah, that was better, better, way better. That was like the Niners and the, and the Raiders are actually doing good, right? And so repent. And then he says, and do the first works, or we could say redo, right? And do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But I want you to see this. He gives you the prescription. He gives you the antidote. He gives you the tools. He gives you the, the, the blueprint, if you will, for how do you rekindle that first love. Everybody say remember. The very first thing that you have to do, this is the formula, is remember Remember, one of the things, uh, John Gottman, who's a, a incredibly brilliant, popular marriage counselor, he talks about this. He says that when I sit down with a couple, if I ask them to tell me how they first got together and tell me how they met and how they first started dating, he said, I can tell immediately by how fondly they talk about their beginning. And if they'll talk fondly about their beginning, he said, I can quickly get them back to it. He said, it's the couples that can no longer remember why they got together. Those ones are the hardest ones to help move forward in life. So he says this. He said, you've got to remember. See, here, here's what I know about you. You liked him for some reason. Now, I don't understand why, but you did. Okay, you liked her. You liked her. You thought she was so amazing and so special and so forth. You've got to go back and remember all the great qualities that they had that made you drawn and attracted to them to begin with. And remember that and celebrate that and focus on that. Because one of our issues is, is that we so fixate and focus on what they don't do great or what they're not good at or what they did do wrong. And, I, and what Jesus' prescription was, go back and remember, go back and consider, go back and do what my wife did. When literally in the early years of our marriage, when I was being difficult and immature, she went and wrote a list of every great quality that I had. And this thing, it started out pretty small. <laughs> it started out kind of creative, you know. Um, but, but bless God, she kept adding to the list and adding to the list and adding to the list. And anytime I acted like a young boneheaded dude, she would go back because what she could have done is focused on me and all of my insufficiencies, all of my issues, all of my problems. She didn't though. She went back and she remembered. She didn't know she was doing this. She'd never read this scripture and put two and two together. She just, the Holy Spirit letter and she made this list and that's why we're together to, today. Why? Because she remembered. Now, here's what you need to know too. She married me on potential. So just heads up. <laughs> I was not a finished product at that point in time. She married me on potential. But next thing is, everybody say Repent. So if you, if you feel like I've, I've, I've lost that first loving feeling that I used to have, I've lost that romantic feeling, he goes, repent. Like, not only do you go remember, but go repent. And to repent just means to turn around. It's not a negative word. It's not an evil word. You need to love that word. You're telling me that every time I screw up and make a mistake, God gives me the opportunity just to go back to him and he lovingly opens his arm and embraces me? Yeah, that's awesome. So whatever preacher got it in your head that repent was a terrible word, let's, let's change our thinking about that. Repent is beautiful. It is the open door back into God's presence and you are only one prayer away from that at any moment in time. It is a beautiful thing. God says, no, no, no. You did something wrong? Okay, come on. Again, you got to remember, every time God forgives you, he's telling you our relationship is more important than the rule you broke. 
Get back in here. Let's be together. Let's walk together. Let's commune together. Let's have relationship together. So what you have to do is, is you have to do that with your relationship with God. But now we do that with our spouse. So every time that you feel like, hey, look, we, I've kind of lost my first love. I, I, I don't, we're not in that romantic place that we used to be and we're at each other and we're, maybe our hearts are growing cold. Hey, I, I want to repent. I'm so, I was wrong. Part of repentance is, is, is waking up to the truth. That you were wrong and then confessing it. And then it's not about just purely confessing it and saying it. It's about doing something different. I tell people this all the time. Because some of you people are prideful and stubborn and you never apologize. And you need to repent of that. That is pride run amok in your life. If you have an inability to apologize or admit that you were wrong, that is pride gripping your heart. And you need to get over yourself. You need to break that off your heart. And you need to repent. Now, some of you, though, you're different. Some of you apologize for everything. And you have no problem apologizing. Your problem typically is you apologize, 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 and never actually do anything differently. And what I'm telling you is this, is eventually if you confess and do the verbal part of repent, but you don't actually change your actions and what you're doing, then eventually your words don't matter anymore. And so this idea of repent is huge. It's not just about go back and apologize. It's about go back and confess, but then go back and change. And when you do, I'm telling you what, I've seen marriages heal right before my eyes when two people look at each other in their eyes and say, I was wrong. I am so sorry. Let's do this right. And when you get two people doing that, that is powerful. And I'm telling you, anything is possible. And then the last thing is redo. Everybody say redo. Now, here's, here's where we're going to go today. So remember um, when you changed your outfit three and four times? And then your accessories three and four times? And remember, guys, when you were so sweet and you were so kind and you used all those flattering words? You got the door for her and you did these little, little things. I'm telling, I used to do some of the, I can't even tell you what they are because they're borderline inappropriate, but they're also silly and embarrassing. I'm telling, I, I still do a lot of embarrassing things, but when I was young, I had a lot of embarrassing things, but on purpose though, just to make her smile, just to make her laugh, just to get a rise out of her. And I'm telling you, you live your whole life like that. Guys, this is the way that, uh, there's a Catholic priest that, that taught me this so you can blame him, but I believe in it. So I don't really care. There's two things that the Catholic priest taught me about marriage, and I think both of them are true. One of them's unrelated, but I'll give it to you anyway because it's very powerful. If you're underneath the age of 12, just cup your ears for a second. But he basically said this. He goes, if you ever find yourself in an argument and you're fighting with one another, you're getting angry. He said, the greatest advice I can give you is to take off all of your clothes and stand before each other completely naked and then try to continue the argument. I tried it. It works. The other thing that the, the Catholic priest, this is a great conversation. <laughs> I didn't expect this either. Um, but but what, he, what he went on to say was, he goes, Todd, you have to live. He goes, when you wake up in the morning, he goes, this is how I want you to think about being a husband. He goes, I want you to consider that um, you have to have physical intimacy with your wife that night. And the fate of humanity rests on whether or not you have sex that night. And I want you to live your whole day with the thought of nothing more than how can I win her? How can I woo her? How can I make her laugh? How can I make her love me? How can I make her feel loved? How can I serve her today? Because tonight the sake of humanity rests on whether or not we have physical intimacy or not. Now she can't know that though. You can't tell her that. But you have to live your entire day as if the fate of humanity rested on that. Guys, think like that for a second. You know what you do? You text her first thing in the morning. Hey, bae, just thinking of you. 
Then flowers would show up on her desk so that it would make all the other girls in the office jealous. Then you would show up maybe unexpectedly with a look. Then you would greet her at the door when she came home. And then you, I, I'm just telling you, now girls, 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 nothing's changed. Now, because you're naturally beautiful and God made you that way, you actually don't have to work as hard as we do. But you still have to work. You still have to, because I'm telling you what, this is what God is asking us to do. Like if you, if you feel like you've lost that love and feeling, go back and remember all the great things that made you in love with that person to begin with. Repent to each other, but then go redo all the things that you used to go do. Because in the early years, you put in work. Early in, you, you tried hard. Early in, you were smooth. Go back to being smooth. Go back to being, I tell people all this, because at one point in time, there was date Todd, right? And date Todd worked hard. And then all of a sudden, married Todd shows up and he wants to mail it in and get lazy and take things for granted. Go be date Todd for the rest of your life. And don't be fake. Live your whole life trying to become date Todd. Because date Todd is kind. Date Todd is thoughtful. Date Todd is considerate. Date Todd is encouraging. Date Todd is romantic. Go be that guy. Go be that girl for the rest of your life. Last scripture and I'll pray for you. Proverbs chapter 20 or 14 verse 23 says this. In all labor or work, there is profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. You know what the marriage, uh, the, the, the marriage principle is? Is you never stop pursuing. You never stop working. You never stop pursuing with energy, trying to overtake them. You live your whole life thinking, hmm, how can I get that person to feel so loved today? How can I get that person to know that I so love them today? And you do that. Every single day. That's the law of pursuit. And if you do that, you'll have a blessed marriage. Would you bow your heads with me today? I feel as though I may have given you um, a good bit of challenge today. And that's good. I may have given you some things to think about. And that's good. If you're married in here today, I need you to take this. And I need you to run with it. I need you to recognize that like you can have an incredible love in your marriage and you can get it back if you feel like you lost it. But you got to go back and remember. Go back and remember. Go back and repent. Go back and redo the things that you used to do. Go be that guy. Go be that girl. Don't mail it in. Don't be lazy. Go put in some work and some energy. Pursue it with everything that you've got. And I promise you, you can have an incredible marriage. And here's what I know about marriage. There's nothing more powerful than a marriage where God is in the middle and he's using your marriage to bring two people closer together. It's even using two people to sanctify each other. He's using two people to love one. It's, it's just an incredibly powerful thing. And God wants to use that in your life. And so, Lord, I pray for these people, God, that they would open up their hearts to you and maybe they would repent to you, God. But that from this day forward, God, they would go repent to one another. God, they would go remember the great things about each other. They'd go redo the things that they used to go do. And they would live like that all the time, Lord. God, that is my prayer today in Jesus' name. If you believe it, give me a good gospel. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you give Lord a big hand clap today? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.